0: Okay, who is Jude Law? Why is he in every movie I have seen? He's in everything! He's in everything! He's gay, he's brave, he's American, he's British. Next day he's playing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the movie. Forgive my compromised sense of humor, but I did want to answer our host question. Jude Law is, uh, he's, he's one of our finest actors.
1: I'm addicted to gaming.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know they had a new Witcher. Congrats, Fran.
1: Oh, they don't have a new... There's not a new... I'm playing an old game. But new Mm -hmm. to me. New to me.
2: That's cool. I'm addicted to walking around alone. Uh, I just go on these two-hour walks every day.
1: Dude, if you love aimless walking, you would love RPGs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, not, I'm not kidding in the slightest. Like, half of what you do in an RPG is like, all right, now I gotta commute.
2: I mean, isn't that Existence an aimless RPG that has no discernible beginning, end, or goal?
1: I don't know, and I'm worried my life, <laughs> I'm worried I know too much about gaming to understand what kind of game Existenz is supposed to be in
2: Existence. See, I know you weren't trying to, like, reference Existence. You just had to get off your chest that you were addicted to gaming, which I think is great. But I'm like, you know, this is our gaming episode.
1: I know. Well, you're bringing the Cronenberg perspective, and I'm bringing the gamers perspective.
2: Correct. You're Zelda.
1: I'm Zelda? You're you're like. Well, I'm Link. Okay. Zelda is so so minor sort of in the Zelda universe but Witcher, Witcher is front and center. Geralt, I think you mean.
2: When do we get a new season of that dumbass show, which I love.
1: I recently I love learned Warfare. that Witcher has a female showrunner, so now it's not dumb. Now it's, now it's, um, Okay, now it's
2: transgressive, yeah. (laughs) Now it's actually a commentary on masculinity. When a woman casts Henry Cavill to be shirtless, that is a commentary on masculinity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know when we're getting a new season of it, and I'm thinking about trying to watch again now that I sort of understand canonically what is going on.
2: Now that you know it's the female gaze. Maybe, maybe that's all I needed I mean, when I watch something, it becomes the female gaze when you think about it. I mean, that's not how gaze works at all, but um, for me. Speaking of the female gaze, Mm
1: -hmm. this is law school.
2: Guys, welcome to law school. Um, I'm Caroline Simons.
1: I'm Fran Hoffner. This is a podcast about Jude Law and Jude Law's filmography. Um, Did you watch King of the Hill growing up?
2: No, but I've seen errant episodes uh, when they'd air after The Simpsons.
1: Oh, for sure. I just always, anytime you say like... Something and something else. I always do want to be like propane and propane accessories, like Jude Law and Jude Law accessories versus filmography.
2: (laughs) Dude, has Jude Law seen King of the Hill?
1: Definitely not.
2: Definitely not. But he, like, do you think if someone's like, oh, Mike Judge, and he'll be like, who's that? And someone will be like, oh, Silicon Valley, King of the Hill, would he, like, would that register for him? Or would he just kind of nod it off, like, oh, okay, comedy showrunner guy?
1: I don't know that Jude Law has watched a 30 minute sitcom on HBO. Interesting. Like has Jude seen an episode of Girls Ever? I don't think so.
2: I think he's seen like maybe the Matthew Reese one, like one of the special bottle episode ones because of Dom Hemingway because he watched it because of the director. I'm oh, sure he watched I'm oh, sure he watched that.
1: Yeah, that's very okay, that's very possible. I just for someone so deep in the HBO pocket, I mm-hmm. could not picture him watching literally any 30-minute HBO show.
2: Girls might be the only one. I am trying to think of, definitely seen hour-long ones. I'm like, would Jude Law like like Veep? I think he respects How close is he to Iannucci? Yeah, he knows Iannucci, but has he seen Veep?
1: He's like the kind of guy who would call Iannucci maestro, but like maybe (laughs) have seen literally none of his work. Every time I'm in the throes of depression, which is very frequently, I'm like, I have to stay alive long enough to see Bradley Cooper's Leonard Bernstein biopic Maestro.
2: Is that, like, actually moving forward? Or were you just getting, like, notices, like, oh, it's in development. Oh, he's attached. Like, I think is that actually it, No, no, happen?
1: no. I think it's, like, supposed to come out this next year. I do think it's, oh, like... Oh, like, it
2: shot? They shot it. I think they are shooting it. That's nuts. Well, do you know what period of his life it got? I just am, like... Wow. Probably the
1: 50s and 60s when he was, like, height of fame. I don't know specifically what, like, part of his life it's about or if it's very textbook biopic. Is he
2: directing himself? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course he is. Exhausting, but... He's good at it. Leave him alone. I, all right, all right. I know you... I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't come for Bradley Cooper when we're all such in a delicate state, and I know you can't wait for Maestro. I can't wait for Maestro. It's a movie for Fran, and I want my friend to be happy. yeah. Dude, what is your background
1: with Cronenberg? It's extensive, I know.
2: Hmm. What is my background with Cronenberg is I classically went to liberal arts college and I got a bachelor's in film and a significant chunk of that to get said degree was reading, discussing, watching all Cronenberg stuff. I mean, if you don't have an MP4 of his student films on an ancient lacy hard drive, did you even get your bachelor's in film? So yeah, I, I love him. Totally. Sander, have you seen a
1: Cronenberg movie before?
0: I was just looking this up because I was like, I don't know. Um, name some Cronenberg hits. Give me the top hits.
2: The Fly is like the commercially success, the, the big commercially successful okay. one in the US, yeah.
0: No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> have no, you seen the I-
1: Simpsons episode where they do The Fly? I've seen that. Yeah, me too. Um,
0: wait which was that like a house of it's a tree house of horror horror horror. horror, yeah it does ring a bell but did not see the fly um history of violence maybe yes eastern promises yes absolutely have seen it like that movie a
2: lot existence which is 1999 right because crash is 97. let me this is a great time yeah existence is
1: 99 because this is like in there with like the matrix yeah They must have been so mad. You're like, oh my fucking god, this is our fucking idea. Like, what? Yeah, and it's and it's and the Matrix is way
2: better. Um. Okay, if we're going for different things though in our sci-fi, I mean, you really can't Mm. because okay, here's the thing about all of Cronenberg's work: his entire time has been examining transgressive properties and like this limbo space of when people. Realize that the tools and language given to them by established society and established norms are completely inadequate for describing the self and achieving any semblance of purpose or satisfaction or whatever. So most of his films are people um, just disintegrating and being in this limbo space of trying to reinvent themselves from nothing, deeply rooted in an existential concept of you choose to reinvent yourself and your identity every single day like nothing is preordained nothing is set every choice you make even the ones you're unhappy with are ones you are making for yourself every single day and you know these constraints that you perceive upon yourself are fake so all those movies are like creators scientists artists who dare to Push through these established boundaries, usually to disastrous results, um, <laughs> which is incredible. So a lot of these, I mean, the 90s have this amazing era of like cyber anxiety sci-fi mm. movies, people who can like see on the horizon that there's a change coming. But what makes them so much more interesting than stuff that I think comes out of the early aughts in the present day is the language hasn't really solidified of what form tech is going to take, but there is a sense of there's connectivity, there's blurring of reality, and people are hyper aware that this is happening, but not sure how it's gonna manifest. You get much more inventive, crazy, philosophical movies. You get like 13th Floor and, and Dark City, and The Matrix, obviously. And a lot of these movies that come out, the central crux of the movie is what is reality, what is fake, and the conclusion of the film is either You know, establishing, okay, here is our new reality that we have now opened our eyes to, or we've destroyed this false reality and can live safely where we are from. But existence doesn't. Like, existence doesn't care what reality is. Existence doesn't seek a conclusion like that. The whole point is being in this transgressive limbo space and being out of your mind. Like, there's no satisfaction, like, oh, cool, we've established reality now. It's all about what happens to people when they are, you know, put in this... Sort of permeable, transgressive space, and forced to reconstruct their reality and their identity. Totally, I would yeah. say you're yeah. so
1: well, you're so smart. Well,
0: I, I was no. like, I'm like, yeah, I, lo- I love that take of. I love Jude's character in that he he's like a virgin, and then he gets plugged. And yes. Like, and he's forever, you know, uh, um, beholden to like what is real, what is not. And I'm like,
2: first of all. Cronenberg uh, movies horny as hell without ever depict with rarely depicting actual I'm like heterosexual sex. So horny as hell.
1: <laughs> I agree that video games are about fucking, and I think like not a lot of filmmakers are like brave enough to say that gaming gaming and sex are are the same. And when we make right. fun of people for gaming too much, we're making fun of them for having too much sex.
2: Dude, those are basically know. the same. Guys, gamers fuck, and this is what's important the to gamers take Gamers
1: definitely have sex.
2: Mm-hmm. It's that's an that, that aimless RPG. Scene,
0: that one scene with Jennifer Jason Lee and Jude, and they're they're just like, they start making out as like, that's what their characters would do. I was like, yes, of course. This would happen within 10 minutes of anyone inventing this technology. There would be making Absolutely. Out
2: It'd be VR porn. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And that, that would be like the money bank. Like you would just be like making bank on that. And then you'd be like, yeah, but we have it for like, you know, experiencing your memories or like, it would, there'd be like other stuff, but that wouldn't be the moneymaker. Like-
2: Wait, let's actually do this real quick. Let's run down the plot of existence. <laughs> <laughs> Fran, would you take it away? Because I'm obviously too enmeshed oh. and enamored. Come on, you got this chance. I'm
1: going to try. So we start out basically like, you know, they're doing a beta testing of a new game. And the game designer is played by Jennifer Jason Lee. Her name is Allegra Geller. She's sort of like the preeminent game designer. And she's got like a pool of people who are testing out her new RPG, which is called X to capital X, capital Z. I mean, it's important to get it's important to get the spelling right. And branding matters. I feel bad if I, like, misspell, like, the name of a ghoul from something I play, like, in a text. I'm like, I have to correct this. It's, like, it's not real. I mean, I hope it's you not. You are
2: witcher, actually, yeah.
1: I am, I am Geralt.
2: Um, You're Geralt of... Rivia. It sounds like Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> I
1: know, that's why it's easy to remember. Um, <laughs> and so, basically, acting as security guard for this event, our, our man's Jude Law, playing a guy named Ted Peichel...
2: Ted Peichel, who Crazy I do not name. think could defend me in an attack, however he is No, security. why
1: are they having, like, an ad ops goon doing security? Like, I don't really know, but I'm just sort of curious what... They keep saying he's such a PR geek, but, like our sort of 2020 conception of what a PR geek is so different than what the movie thinks a PR geek is in a really fun where I'm like the PR geeks I know sort of have separate Instagram accounts that all use the same filter and are always like (laughs) here are the incense I'm burning this month so I'm like is this what he's supposed to be but I don't think that's right
2: yeah he's wearing like a quarter zip he just looks very smooth
1: Um, And he's not into gaming. He's doing security, but he lets a Mm -hmm. guy come in late who's brought his, like, you know, blobby port, and he's like, did I miss it? And they're like, you can go the next round. Should we
2: talk about the blobby port right now?
1: (sighs) If you want to.
2: You know I want to talk about that blobby port. Yeah, talk (laughs) about it. I mean, your video game con... The way you play this game, Existence, is your game controller. It's essentially, like, an external womb. Like, it looks like an organ. It looks like a sack, and it has... A like umbilical cord, and you and you kind of have to lube it up and stick it into the jack, which just looks like an anus, but it's in people's lower backs. What mm-hmm. else is there to say? That's no, that's, that's how you perfect. Play. Mm-hmm.
1: So he comes in with his like old system, but guess what? It's not his old system. It's a gun made out of bones, shoot that shoots human teeth, and yeah. he sort of does, you know. Lone shooter thing because he's anti-video game. And then... Mm-hmm. But the shot does not kill Allegra. So Allegra and Ted basically have to go on the run. And her game... You know, her portal... Is that what they're... Her device? Yes. Call it portal, yeah. Portal has been damaged. So they need to get it fixed. And she needs to know that x Descends works. Because she's worked on it for five years. Um, In my opinion... One game would not be so important to as to risk my life, but that's, that's okay.
2: Okay, gun made of bones, they go on the run. She's got to get
1: somewhere safe where she can get her sort of portal fixed and then test the game.
2: The game is carried around uh, in like a ski boot purse that she has. That's just fine. You should know that.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so it's like they can't go back to the company. They think there's people on the inside. Basically, we've been... Introduce this conflict that for every sort of, like, pro-gaming person, there's probably someone who's very anti-gaming, a realist.
2: Is that what they're mm-hmm. called? Yeah, yeah, the realist, realism,
1: yeah. People who love Mike Lee films are assassinating gamers. <laughs> and that's who they have to go on the run from. Um, and then they're just, you know, they're stopping at various... Stops, like, they stop and they talk to Willem Dafoe at a gas station.
2: What's his character's name, Fran? His
1: character's name is Gas, and he penetrates Jude Law.
2: Deserves awards for naming his character Gas when he runs a gas station. That's amazing. Um,
1: And then, you know, we eventually make our way to Ian Holm, who's, like, Allegra's mentor and he gets the game fixed and then from there we're kind of in inception mode where we're going into the game but then we're going into another game through the game and you know Cronenberg introduces various levels of games so you know the the Geller character is basically like introducing Jude Ted into like the world of gaming and all that he can be capable of because he's such a he's such a skeptic
2: right Yeah, and they're trying to root out, like, there's vaguely, like, a a through plot. It's essentially they're, like, looking for what's wrong with the game. They're trying to figure out who's trying to sabotage the game. They're trying to figure out what's actual running through the gameplay and what are enemy agents put in there to throw them off their track. And the game itself does not really have a structured objective or plot. And now as I talk to my friend, the gamer Fran, I learned that a lot of RPGs are just wandering around. And that is exactly what goes on in the game of existence. You have like loose objectives, but like you're at the video game shop and then you are working on the trout farm, a hellish warehouse, Hieronymus Bosch looking Assembly line. Well,
1: I mean, I agree that RPGs are predominantly like wandering around and doing little tasks, but there usually is like a main objective that doesn't mean you have to do it, and you can very much put off doing it as long as you want. Um, It's possible that there are RPGs I just don't know about that are only like little tasks. Um, Maybe one could say that Animal Crossing is that where all you are ever trying to do is like get out of debt and plant trees. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but, what about the Goose The Goose Game? The
1: Goose Game was fun. Oh, yeah, I've never played the Goose Game. I think the Goose Game would actually kind of piss me off,
2: but... I, I think it looks very visually pleasing. I think that would be the one I would like is Goose Game.
1: Yeah, I just kept being like, what is the actual objective of Existence, or is it is it just like a gamescape? And then I sort of spent a lot of time thinking about Ready Player One, Which also introduces this, like, gamescape where you can hop around to different worlds and there are objectives within those worlds, but maybe up until, like, the plot of Ready Player One begins, no communal objective.
2: Right. I think that, I mean, Ready Player One is good to bring up as a foil to this, to realize, because there's so much that seems murky and unclear and disconcerting about existence it's good to hold up a concrete foil of like a spielberg film to this and be like oh yeah this is specifically what's lacking in the world of existence to kind of make sense of it and that you know existence you're kind of just in there and again a lot of the main objective like you're kind of following clues you're talking to people but really the idea is just how long can you exist in this strange limbo space and i think it's it it, what i mean is it's easy kind of to Understand what you're missing when you kind of compare it to something like Ready Player One. Where you're like, okay, like they go into the game, and Ben Mendelsohn's there, and blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Ready Player One is a movie
1: about Ben Mendelsohn trying to assassinate a child. Um, yeah,
2: that's I that's sh- good.
1: Just had the sickening thought of I should rewatch Ready Player One, but I'll we- watch it
2: right now. I love Ben Mendelssohn. How is he? Have you have you seen Ready Player One? No. Oh. <laughs> It
1: is, it is,
2: ex- it's extraordinarily
1: watchable, I think.
2: Hell yeah. Um, I love Spielberg. Yeah, I love for ben. sure.
1: Um, that movie is pretty good, is what I'll say. Uh, but very, very solid. Silly.
2: Honestly, a solid review.
1: This is one of the few Jude films I think we've watched that I feel like is not really playing to the Jude type or the Jude persona. Right. He's but playing- it is early
2: in his career, which makes sense of like, we think of him coming straight out the gate and we're like, this is the guy. This guy is Ripley. But that's really kind of just Anthony mangella knowing early on, like, this is how well, this right. guy should this be used.
1: This is post-Gattaca,
2: yes. pre-Ripley, essentially. Pre-Ripley, pre-AI. He has a very solid early run of influential 90s sci-fi movies. No, I totally.
1: Say. I think this is closer to Gattaca in that he's in sort of yes. like little snip mode. Hmm. Right, but, but I don't think this is like a very natural state for him to be in, and I don't think he offers a lot of growth in in snit mode either in Gattaca or in this. Like, no. I think a lot of the fundamental fear around video games in the '90s and early 2000s, and maybe less so now, though it always remains like latent in like video game debate, is like violence in video games and specifically like violence like awakening something or desensitizing you to something and i think you know the fear when people start gaming is like oh god i hope this doesn't like tap into like any type of you know personality things that i want to lay be like laid dormant
2: Right. And like I, I don't want to acknowledge that I have these predilections kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, I hate to be like the person who quotes community, but there's that very funny thing where the dean is watching a video. He's like, "Oh, I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me." And anytime I start playing a new <laughs> video game, I sort of do feel that. I'm like, "Ugh, oh, I hope this isn't the one that like accidentally radicalizes me." Um Witcher's not going to do that, even though it is pretty violent, because I'm so addicted. Witcher
2: could do that, yeah. No, I'm
1: way too addicted. Well, it's going to awaken something different in me, which is that, like, I have this fantasy that I'm really good at poker, and Mm -hmm. every year I try to get good at poker, and I never get... And it's like, I'm not good at poker. Or I would have to work so hard to get good at poker, but... Similarly, like, in Witcher, there's an in-game card game, and it's like, I just lose hours playing this in-game card game. Uh,
2: like in episode one of the Netflix series, The Witcher, where he goes to an inn and plays a card game. I watched that.
1: Does he play cards in that episode? I didn't yes, make it he that plays far. cards.
2: Well, he, he, like, shows up, I think. I don't know if he... I know he goes to an inn and they're, like, playing cards.
1: Yeah, they're probably playing the game. It's called Gwent. Um, <laughs> I'm obsessed with Gwent. Gwent is great because it's, like, one of those things where it's, like... Unlike poker where you have a set deck, like Gwent is something where you have to build a deck and then you get better. Um I can't god, talk about it Gwent. Like a nightmare. Shut the fuck up. Uh Sandy What?
2: You silence my friend one more time. People
0: have been trying to get me into Magic the Gathering and it just it's that thing where you're like you log on, you're like, Okay, you play a game, you're like, this is gonna be my entire life and I log off. I'm like, I can't,
2: I can't You're afraid of what
1: it'll awaken in you.
0: Decks. Oh my god.
1: You don't want to Building awaken something. Building decks is very, very satisfying. Fran, um, I'm gonna buy
0: you a Gwent deck.
1: No, you don't, now. don't, don't, don't. I Gwent really, I can't it. go. Rah! I, I can't get further <laughs> into this. Um, but the thing, I think the thing I kept waiting for in this movie was for, like, the Existence universe to kind of like, loosen the Ted Peichel character up, and it never like fully happens. He's pretty resistant to it. And I think mm-hmm. even the violence that he like takes part in, he takes no joy in. He's like just
2: always having a bad time. There's no real exciting change, growth, acceptance from him. And in the end, of course, he's thoroughly punished in that he uh, contracts a virus through his bioport and is uh, exploded by Allegra.
1: Yeah, she, That's the end. She literally blows his back out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a part of this Damn. movie with spores, Literally, and they're like, not the spores. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, every, I keep forgetting just the escalation of like organic body horror is so dramatic and taken in stride by everyone in the movie. Like they cut the like the pod becomes disease and starts just molting and turning purple, exploding into sores, and then they cut her umbilical cord. And Jennifer Jason Lee bleeds out in the stall like an animal, and everyone's like, oh no. I
1: think I'd always <laughs> been horrifying. quite resistant to Cronenberg because of the violence and gore factor, but it's right. very campy.
2: It's super campy.
1: And, like, kind of funny, which is maybe, like, I've been jokerfied, and now, like, where I used to be really squeamish, I'm like, this is fine.
2: <laughs> it, it's, I mean, like, it is truly out of this world. Like, whenever I, uh, going a little too deep of talking about the philosophy of Cronenberg, someone is always like, okay, cool, so even scanners? I'm like, even scanners, the movie where someone's head famously explodes in the first, like, ten minutes? And honestly, in making a giant head explode, Cronenberg's like, yeah, I thought it was cool, and the guy worked at Lucasfilm, and they blew up the head a bunch on set, and I thought that was great, and so he kept it in. Like, there is, like, an entertainment spectacle value to it.
1: There's a total, like, science experiment, like, someone hitting a big red button and then, like, goop going (laughs) everywhere kind of effect to it that feels very joyful. You can sense that, like, Kronenberg is having fun when, like, shit is exploding and squelching and all that. He's just,
2: like, sliming A-list actors. It's great. Yeah, and I don't think
1: he's, like, putting the characters through unnecessary pain.
2: No, and as joyless and serious as my breakdown interpretation of his general philosophy is, like, the man loves to make wacko movies. Oh, I was,
1: like, having, I was having a total blast watching this. But I just kept being like, where's Gwent?
2: Where is Gwent? You
1: need to get me, like, a bumper sticker like, I'd rather be playing
2: Gwent. (laughs) I feel like the Gwent of this is them, like, going through the menu at the Chinese restaurant and being like, What's there, Sandy, you shake your head?
0: That whole scene, I was, I, well, like, speaking of, like, putting actors through hell, I was like, what is Jude eating? Like, I was like, okay, someone in props is, like, putting little chicken on a fake thing. I'm like, can you, he's, like, sitting there being like, okay, I'm a 28-year-old actor. I got this gig, and I'm eating a fake lizard, and I am and have to... Pretend I'm enjoying it. I don't know. It was kind of, I was, like, thinking too much about the background. No,
2: it. I thought about that, too, of, like, <laughs> actors, like, being so dedicated to doing wacko shit on camera, which yeah. is their job. But, like, watching him just gnawing away at that bone to, like, pull the goop back from the jaw to load the teeth into the gun. I'm, like, someone had to make an edible prop of, like, gelatinous bullshit. And he had to just gnaw at it. And then, de- I'm, like, man, that, actors.
0: That, that whole sequence was just very, I was you know, I'm just like chilling while on the couch watching. I'm just like kind of pulling away like, okay, this is gel- It's gelatinous and it's a lizard, a two-headed lizard and it everyone says it smells. I'm like, I'm in it. I'm fully believing that this is gross and disgusting and I'm fully believing that, that Ted is gonna eat this thing.
2: To be boring again, but to get a degree in film, you have to learn about abject theory. Do we, mm. do we know and love abject theory? I'm I'm stupid, so... You're, You're a big genius and my good friend. Adject theory is the notion that can be applicable to all sorts of art that humans are naturally repulsed by excessively organic processes and bodily functions because it reminds them of their mortality and their impending death. And all of Cronenberg's worth is life and death and sex, so he just gets so mushy into all sorts of abject imagery and theory of the blood and the flesh and the bones and the gristle and the gelatinous goop because in his head he's like yeah all my work is about death and therefore it has to be about sex and flesh and weird things like that that remind us that we die i would eat the goop i would love to eat the goop
1: i was force my brother to talk to talk with me about going on the amazing race which he refuses to do and said (laughs) we would be really bad at and it would drive us apart but i the reason i think we'd be a good team is that he is in like incredible physical shape and i i will eat like any gross thing i'm really not Really, yeah just about
2: i didn't know that about you when was that
1: tested recently when was it tested recently? Probably not in a couple of years, but like I ate the gross fermented fish in Iceland and I was like the piss shark. Do you know about this?
2: No, what's the piss shark, does it piss itself?
1: No, it's like a it's like some Icelandic delicacy and I think it's like a it's like rotten shark that they ferment in piss or something crazy like Who's that. Who's piss? The shark's? Shark piss? I think so. Shark's
2: own piss or human piss?
1: No, shark. Shark, shark, shark.
2: You said that like no, like I should know. Like, Wait, obviously I should not look human up what... piss, Caroline.
1: Yeah, it's like rotten, sh- rotten shark.
0: Yeah, we should get our details straight on the rotten piss shark.
2: <laughs> yes, fact. Can we fact? <laughs> fact- Where's our the research piss department? Shark? Yeah, can we fact? Oh, I know. Check I know piss Sweden- shark? Okay, maybe Sweden it's not like
1: piss. That. Maybe it's just ammonia.
2: I love how in your mind though you're like it's piss. I thought it was piss. You're like Those, I those new piss. to
1: it may gag involuntarily. I was like, this is honestly fine.
2: Was it salty? Oh. Like, what are we talking about? No, it's not sh- salty.
1: It's like it's like sour. Okay, like I mean, it's, it's pickled. like it's like pickled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I guess that's the most recent time that that has been tested. But I've had like pickled
2: herring before. Sure, I love that. Is that diff- Have you had both pickled herring and pickled piss shark? What's Totally, yeah. We have to or stop however, saying
1: piss shark. I feel like this is disrespectful to Iceland. Like it's not piss. I have to I'm sorry for what I said and I'm learning and growing. Um
2: <laughs> Yeah, I'll
1: eat pickled anything.
2: I was just saying like I don't if know. If we have if it, any listeners in Iceland, I will be honored, flattered, and I also offer our apologies. Keep going though.
1: Um This will not come out before Christmas, but I've been thinking about like what I want to eat on Christmas cuz my family always does like traditional german food which is so 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 good but kind of hard to like wrangle especially when solo
2: but it's all the like like potato meat gelatinous
1: yeah it's a well and it's a lot of like pickled herring and a lot of like mayo or cold but like crab salad kind of you know (laughs) nasty midwestern shit. but like i love all that stuff and to me that is christmas food is like cold cold deli meats and like fucked up cheeses and like rolls and then herrings and now i'm like am i gonna eat a warm chicken on christmas that's disgusting
2: are you serious yeah
1: i think (laughs) i'm gonna make a chicken for christmas
2: in lieu 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 of being able
1: to eat my beloved gross family food
2: you could just put some stuff in the snow i guess dude like you can have cold food in december (laughs) No, <laughs> like I, I want like there's simply the no way.
1: And then rip it apart with my hands the way Jude does the food at yeah, the Chinese restaurant out of the in I, existence. Yeah. Yeah, I did
2: like that. A very satisfying click when he takes out the bridge of his teeth and like clicks it into the gun.
1: Oh, it's so good.
2: Really good. That's a man who's been working with flesh and bone for decades. He's like, "Oh, it's got a click."
1: Um Caroline, do you want to place him on the matrix so we can talk about the end of the film?
2: Um well, American, except there's a scene where well, he gets kind of panic about his Jack being infected, and he goes British when he starts to yell. So let's put him in But he's also there. British at the end of the movie. Oh, you're right. He comes out fully British in the end. I'd say because, who can say which depiction of the character is more real than the other one? Let's put him firmly in the center of the Matrix on the American-British spectrum.
1: Yes. When we think the movie has ended, they pull back another layer. And, like, right. it's basically, like, end of Wizard of Oz. Like, and you were there, and you were there. So all the people we've run into, Willem Dafoe, Ian Holm, Christopher Eccleston, we haven't even
2: talked about. Love him. Yeah, that was nice. From The Leftovers, Matt. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he...
2: Starring Carrie Coon.
1: And, uh, of course. So when we pull out that next layer, then Jude is inexplicably British and just, like, dating Jennifer Jason Lee's character...
2: Right, which I guess makes him makes him slightly straight, but also there's no finite sexuality or ge- there's no finite gender in any Cronenberg movies, so we just got to let that run the gambit. He licks her port.
1: Which he is licks her port, which is clean him up.
2: Mhm. But like it makes sense cuz you're like, yeah, I know what this is. You can't fool me. It's not just a bioport. That's an asshole. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's more
1: complicated this than that. This is not
2: the first No, this is not the first a uh, uh, fabricated asshole that has appeared in Cronenberg movies. Have you um, seen Naked Lunch? No,
1: I've the only seen this. The typewriter is a, is a bug method. that talks
2: out its butt. What? I've only
1: seen this and Dangerous Method. <laughs> it's awesome. It's so crazy that for up until literally yesterday, the only Cronenberg movie I'd seen was Dangerous Method.
2: It's amazing you found the Kira Knightley one to watch. I love that for you. God, she's just rotten in that movie. I mean, the movie is bad.
1: What's funny is my grandfather saw that movie, famous Kieran Knightley stand, my grandfather, um, and I was like, yeah, I don't think it's very good, and he just, like, looked at me and he's like, you didn't understand it. <laughs> he's like, if you had taken just one intro to psychology course in college, you would probably like this movie a lot more, and I was like, how dare your, you?
2: Your grandfather literally said you don't fuck. That's amazing. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs>
1: I think about that a lot when he's just like, you definitely just don't understand the movie.
2: Dude, your grandpa's hot. All right. <laughs> nice scrunchie. When's that, when did that show up?
1: Oh, I got, a, I got a bunch of scrunchies in the mail.
2: Huge. Can you, like, put stuff in that? What do, you,
1: what, do you ta- what do you mean can I put stuff in it?
2: Oh, I get targeted Instagram ads for a scrunchie that's a purse, and I, like, don't know oh, why. Oh, no.
1: No, no, like, no. you can
2: unzip it, and where the elastic would be, you can fit, like, a chapstick. And I'm like, Whoa. this is silly.
1: In the way that I've had to, like, pass through various phases this year to, like, not do something, you know, quote-unquote chaotic, I've mm-hmm. now, fi- I think I'm now on the other side of, like, I won't shave my head in quarantine, but now I have to figure out how to take care of my hair. I've lost a lot of hours on curly hair Reddit.
0: You make it seem effortless, Fran. I feel like you're always just like, I woke up and boom. And you're like, oh my goodness.
2: You got great volume, man.
1: Oh, thank I you know. so much. Jude has a couple different hairstyles in this movie.
2: Jude has a couple different hairstyles. I also want to read Depending the on what level that, like, of the game we're in, I should say. Is the movie good for Jude? And I think you're right in that it's no. It's not that good for Jude, this movie. No. I love the movie, but like It's such a for him, unfortunately, it's such a nothing role. And I think the the charm of the individual character is kind of sacrificed for a larger general theme and exploration, which happens a lot in Cronenberg movies. There aren't many super memorable performances except for all the stuff that Jeremy Irons does for Cronenberg, which I think is magnificent and memorable. But otherwise, you kind of just slot in people and they play out these larger themes. Oh, and um, Oliver Reed in the early stuff. God, I love The Brood. I what about the brood. Goldblum? Yeah, I mean, Goldblum is doing a great Goldblum.
1: Okay, I feel like it was huge for him, but maybe he was already sort of...
2: It was, I mean, like, I think it was huge for him, but, it, you know, like, I can't even tell you what his character's name is in that movie. I mean, it's Goldbloom turning into a fly. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the movies, but if we talk about, like, show-stopping individual performances... I think the Jeremy Irons. So I'm going to get in trouble for saying I don't think that there are super memorable performances in Cronenberg movies.
1: I think. Yeah, what about people, Keira Knightley and A Dangerous Method? You, I you do don't understand forget. that though. You can't
2: understand it though. You wouldn't understand, Fran. I definitely don't You're only don't fucking get it. in your RPGs. I'm sorry. All
1: right. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't had sex in Witcher yet. Everyone keeps being like, "You can have sex in that game." It's
2: like, why op- haven't you fucked in Witcher?
1: The option has not. The option has not come to me. And I will say. I believe that when you have sex in most, like, RPG games, it's um, a very sort of holistic view of sex where, like, it replenishes your health, which is nice. Wow, that's cute. Oh, my God. I agree that this is not that good for Jude. And, like, we've sort of, like, I think we've found, like, two paths where Jude succeeds most often. And it's, like, when he's playing on the public persona, which is, like, a hot guy you can't trust. And when he's going, like, full weird.
2: What do we classify as full weird?
1: I mean, I think Dom Hemingway is weird.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Like a big, like hammy, hammy stuff. Ham, yeah. When he's going ham. AI is great, but that's another like interesting sci-fi foray.
1: Yeah, I think AI is somewhere in the middle of like weird and persona. Because
2: he is doing, like his character is the sci-fi artifice. And that's, I mean, it's a completely different branch of sci-fi from Cronenberg stuff, which is being fascinated by the verisimilitude of very mechanical tech and like, oh, how close can they be to us, and what does that say about us? Which is not the kind of sci-fi that's examined in Cronenberg stuff, right? But yes, yes, yes.
1: So I don't know. I'm like, I'm glad he's in this. This does not, this is not going to sort of cement anything as like memorable Jude to me. I mean, the stuff that's memorable in this, as I think probably you have and will continue to argue, is just all the like freak shit in it. You know. All the goop, all the bones, all the organs, all
2: the flesh. It's so good. This is like, I think this is the last super visceral Cronenberg movie that Cronenberg does. Because after this, you have Spider, which everyone forgets about. But I remember because it's Ray Fiennes. And then you get into like a history of violence. And then you have Cosmopolis. And you have Maps to the Stars, A Dangerous Method. Like these transgressive ones, but focusing strictly on sexuality and less the convergence of sexuality and viscera and abject.
1: Well, like, History of Violence and Eastern Promises are, like... Eastern Promises, yeah. They're they're not, like, goopy.
2: They're more on the realist side of things, aren't they? Well, that's what I mean. This is, like, the last goopy one. Yeah. There's not a lot of goop after this. Except for, like, you know, blowing people's brains out. I was gonna say,
0: Eastern Promises has a lot of very visceral, gross neck slices.
2: Yeah. Right, that is gore we can't forget. It just pales in comparison to, like... The grizzle gun, made of bones. It is unsettling to see an organic tech phone just squirming and worming around. It's hypersexualized. They're just. It's like.
0: Oh yeah, there was definitely some nipple rubbing at one point. Oh um, yeah, they
2: caress. They literally caress the controller to play the video game. It's psychotic.
0: Right. It's not. I even don't. I don't do
1: that when I game. I'm pretty normal <laughs> when I game. The Switch, despite having a very sexual name, is. Um, Like, I mean, Nintendo is sort of famously non-sexual. Right. Or, like, you have to work... Maybe you don't have to work that hard. But, like, the games are not about fucking on Nintendo. Right. Like, Like, obviously, Super Mario Mario. Bros. is about fucking, but, like, you have to Mm -hmm. work to draw that conclusion.
2: Well, okay, do you have Cyberpunk 2077? No, 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 no. No. I'm just saying, like, in terms of, like sci-fi I'm a, transgressive I'm a, property like you, when you design your character like there's been a. Lo- I mean there's been a lot of talk about this game and i'm very out of my depth right now when discussing cyberpunk 2077 but yeah the character design is like down to the genitalia
1: no totally i mean no i'm not playing cyberpunk 2077 because i can kind of only play one game at a time
2: mm-hmm. um, and right now you're trying to play gert what is the game shut Go- the hell Gempt. up Gempt. G- gwent yeah gwent <laughs> Gwent, I, well, I'm playing I Gwent in Witcher... I seriously was taking a stab at it. <laughs>
1: Basically, I let myself play an hour a day. I do like 30 minutes on quests and then 30 minutes of Gwent, which is too much Gwent because Gwent only takes like three minutes to play. But the thing about Cyberpunk 2077, the reason people are posting about it a lot is because it is new and therefore, like, super glitchy, which my gamer roommate explained, like, was also the case with Witcher when it came out. And when these, like, huge, 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 huge RPGs come out, they take forever to, like, work on, and usually the first, like, iteration of them is, like, extremely glitchy because they don't, they're not going to be able to catch it all. And so they need people to be playing it in order you know for them to see it and i think a lot of the glitches are very funny which is why it's become a whole thing honestly sounds like existence yeah i mean i think cyberpunk <laughs> 2077 actually is probably pretty close
0: is is cy- cyberpunk is open world right
1: i mean i think i think it's open world i just You know, like, I didn't know plot of Witcher until I started playing Witcher, so I'm sure there is a plot to cyberpunk also, but it's like, no one ever talks about that. People just want to talk about the, like, walking around aimlessly. Right. Existence. There's um, a side quest in Witcher where you write a play or an operetta.
2: (laughs) No! (laughs) Have you done that?
1: No, I haven't. I haven't leveled up enough to go. I haven't leveled up enough yet to go to the city. I have to finish In the Swamps.
2: Okay, Maestro starring Bradley Cooper. We're done. This is over. The episode is over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've lost my last friend. Amazing.
1: That's not Amazing. true. But okay. we're
2: done. <laughs> Existence, a wild ride a weird part of early Jude canon. I wish I knew more about how he got involved in this project, which I guess should be our job as Jude Bob podcasters, but I don't know. Maybe someone else should do the homework for once. Maybe one of our listeners will tell us. How did Jude get involved? I'm thrilled that he did because what an interesting run if you try to think of it as, like, Gattaca, Existence, AI. The man's, the man's going for weird projects. He's Ripley, Ripley, AI. Ripley's in there too, correct. I'm just thinking of, like, these early, sci an interesting time to be part of the sci-fi canon.
1: Right, Jude being like, I love science. And now he's like, <laughs> I love
2: the Disney Corporation. He's like, but I love scanners, I love Captain Marvel.
0: It's incredibly fitting, because you mentioned earlier that Jude does so well as a hot thing to not be trusted. And like technology is a hot-ass thing that should not be trusted. So it's like, he is... Right down, right where you should be.
2: Tech is hot. Tech is hot. Tech fucks. Game is sex. I'm married to my phone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Great movie. Fine movie.
1: Thank All you. right, you
2: d- take us yeah. out. Take us out, buddy.
1: Um, thank you to Karen Hahn for the art Ben Kling for our theme song Sandra Randall for producing And thank just you, being Sandy. here to chat with us I'd oh, Love to see him
0: Number one fan
1: Rate, review, subscribe Tell us how Jude got involved with the project One of the main things we should have done for this episode That we didn't do If anyone wants to call me about Witcher My number's in every other episode of the podcast
2: Right, you gotta go back It's called an easter egg Thank you guys <laughs> so much Good night